Hi, um, and welcome to the talk this morning, uh, which is our fifth talk on 1 Corinthians 12, 10. Uh, if you don't know that verse yet, then I guess you probably should. I'll read it to make sure I get it right, though, and don't approximate it. Paul said, this is verse 7, actually, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And then he lists all the gifts. And verse 10 is, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. And this morning we get to the last part, to still another, the interpretation of tongues. That's five talks on one verse. At a rough back-of-the-envelope calculation, uh, that would mean, if we did that, preach the whole Bible, all um, 31,000 verses, at that depth of, of five, five talks on each, each verse, um, I reckon we'd be going for about 3,000 years or so, allowing a bit of time for Christmas and Easter. Um, but we're not planning to teach through the whole of the Bible at five sermons per verse. Um, so you'd be relieved for that probably. But this particular one is a list, so it's been worth taking each point in the list. And I've got to deal with interpretation of tongues. And uh, so just so that I, can, just that I do what I'm told, um, I'm obedient, I will do a bit of that. But I also want to look a bit deeper uh, about the sort of this, this is the end of the list of gifts, about some of the things about those gifts and being the way they're used in, in our, our worship and in our church. So interpretation of tongues. What's envisaged here is that someone has given in public worship in church. They've stood up and they've had a prophecy or a word of knowledge, and they've given that in their spirit language, in tongue, in another tongue, and they've set it out publicly. And uh, then, Paul says, someone should interpret that. It shouldn't be left like that. It should be then interpreted. And some people have a gift of interpretation. Um, I have to say, my experience, I, that's not, I don't think, a thing I've listed in my gifts. Um, but I have, in, not actually recently in our church. We're perhaps more organised now than we were, or whatever, disciplined. But I have in the past been up the front leading um, when that's happened, where someone's given a word in their spirit language. And and it should be interpreted, and 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 you know, um, not having the situation of knowing any particular person I can call on, um, you sort of if you're the leader you think, oh, Lord, someone's got to interpret this. Please, can you give me the interpretation, Lord? Please, <laughs> uh, which also I find it a bit scary in a way. Um, but when that happens, and and you know, praise Jesus, He's faithful. And I get interpretation. It's not like I understand the language. I get a separate download of what God is saying. That seems to be one of the one of the possible advantages of, of giving a word in your spirit language is your mind doesn't get in the way. You don't try and overthink it. It's just it's just the word of the spirit spoken straight as it sort of comes. And because when you're speaking your spirit language, you don't understand it word for word. I I, I mean, I've had interpretation. Um, not this, not this, not the gift at all. This is like normal, everyday, common garden interpretation. Uh, when I've been in Africa and I've been preaching or speaking at some meeting, and I say a sentence, and some chap on the stage or girl or whatever uh, takes my words and puts them into Swahili or Kiruandan or whatever the language locally was, uh, and that's brilliant when you're preaching because you've got time to think of what you're going to say next. Um, <laughs> But but the bloke interpreting, the chap interpreting, knows both languages. He hears the English, but can speak 
Kiriwandan or whatever, in the case, whatever language is. And I'm sure people like, like you know, Phil Parkey, my, my Phil Parkey's brilliant languages, if he hears French, he can think it into English, naturally. But that's, interpretation isn't that, it seems to me. It's a, it's a spiritual gift. You hear the tongue given and you get a download of what God is saying in English. It's, a, it's expressed that same thought. And that, I, I, I sort of love, the, I love the separation of that, really, if that makes sense. Um, and and I, I think that's, you know, it's beautiful when it happens. And, 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 and like I said, I think from Jeremiah I used last week, it lands like a rock. On, God's words lands like a rock on stone. It hits directly. It's not a general sloppy word. It's a specific thing. Same as when God convicts us of stuff, sinful stuff in our life. It's not a general sense of guilt. That's almost the enemy, it seems to me. When it's God, it's like, ah, yes, that thing. That's the one. Yeah, yes. Because the Holy Spirit convicts us to move us forward, to move to repentance and then back into, into fellowship. How'd I get to that? Oh, yeah. So interpretation is that gifting, which means you can hear someone give a word of prophecy or, or word of knowledge in another language, a spirit language, and you can then get the download to explain, to put it in English uh, in public worship. Of course, that's not the same as uh, when you are praying at home quietly and you're praying in your spirit language. Fantastic. Don't need to interpret that at all. In fact, I'm not even sure it might be helpful to do that. Um, um, Paul says that quite clearly that's in chapter 14, in fact. You know, if it's not interpreted there, then play to yourself and, and God. That's great. And sometimes in church now we do a thing where we all pray together in tongues. But there's no intention of speaking out publicly and we just use our spirit language to worship God together. Um, that's again absolutely fine. This is talking about specifically when someone gives a word into public worship, uh, and I think it's worth going back to why Paul wrote all this stuff. I mean, it goes a lot more in, in one Corinthians fourteen about um, tongues and prophecy. Laurie did a brilliant sermon last week on tongues, covered all the ground in terms of um, what you know, still being gifts still being around now. It's very much what God's Spirit's doing. Uh, the importance of praying in tongues, personally, the fact is, although not everyone's everything, just ask for the gifts. And if you want to pray in tongues and you don't, ask, because the Holy Spirit gives. And the Father delights to give good gifts to his children. Uh, so, uh, you know, you cover that ground, and there's, in a sense, not a lot more to say. But I do want to say a bit about, like I say, the context, because the church in Corinth that Paul's writing to is a young church, very early on, uh, it's been founded by Paul, admitted they've come to faith, they love Jesus, they've been obviously zapped by the Holy Spirit in a big way. And there's clearly uh, stuff going on there, demonstrating the power of God by, by the charismata, by the gifts, by healings and miraculous things. Uh, and, and, and that's great, but it's just got a little chaotic uh, in their public worship. And it appears that when they came together, you know, there's there's, there's so many people who want to give words in a tongue that there's just they're cutting into each other and so many prophets want to give prophecy uh, that's coming across and and there's it's just become everyone shouting over each other or or in you know interrupting and um Paul has to say look you know <laughs> be, be, leave one if one's speaking either way they end or give way nicely that's not normally this is not actually the usual problem of the church in england or the church of england our problem tends not to be 
uh, everyone wanting to shout out prophecies. Our problem tends to be the other problem of everyone wanting to be quiet in their own little space and, and not share things out loud. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think this <laughs> Anglican churches are the extreme other end of the spectrum to where Corinth seems to be. But somewhere in the middle, there is a situation where the action and the work of Holy Spirit and the way he speaks through his people is expected, natural, normal, commonplace, happens without getting to one extreme of a bit chaotic or the other extreme of um, religion almost taking over and, and crushing that uh, Holy Spirit in, interruptions out of it. And that's where we want to be. That's where we want to be. And Paul, Paul, I think, um, like I say, he he, um, he wants to reset the Corinthian church. Not that they give up the gift of the Spirit. He doesn't want them to go there. He wants them to make sure that, that they are in that place where they're doing this in a proper, ordered, but open way to do it. Um, two summers ago, uh, with a bunch of um, young people who came to um, Kenya with me, uh, we did a sort of church visiting thing because they're back from university and I sort of encouraged them. We went around different churches on, on Sundays, the evenings. There was not much going on at Sundays of those Sunday evenings in the summer. So we went off to various churches and we just went there and worshipped. And then we would come back and on the train back or the car back, uh, we'd talk about how that was different. And we saw a spectrum of things, you know, from, from Catch the Fire, if you've been there in northwest London, St Helens to various places like that and and there's a whole variety of the way we as Jesus people as Christians in the UK express our worship but as Paul would say first of all it's it's one spirit it's the same Holy Spirit that inspires all people now the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets you can choose not to use your gifting if you have a gifting of prophecy or gift of tongues, you're not forced to use it. It's not some ecstatic thing that comes on you and you can't stop it. You choose to allow Holy Spirit to speak through you. You may get a prompt. You may feel this thing coming, but it's your choice. That goes, works both ways. You can choose not to when you should, or you can, do, do it, you can choose to do it when you shouldn't because there's something else going on and you're interrupting or whatever. The spirits, the Lord did this last week. The spirits, of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Uh, uh, that's um, I don't know where it is now. Um, chapter fourteen, it is. I'm, I'm looking at the right page on the. Do you do that sometimes? You look at a certain page on the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I look at the right page on the uh, thing, but uh, not the right verse. Oh, I can't see it. Verse thirty-two, fourteen, thirty-two. The spirits, of the prophets, are subject to the control of the prophets. One Corinthians fourteen, thirty-two. And I, I suppose if Paul were looking at certainly the church in England, of England, and maybe our congregation, he wouldn't be telling us, he wouldn't be emphasising uh, being order and control. He'd all be emphasising, come on guys, be open to what the Holy Spirit's doing. But at Corinth, they've gone the other way. And so his, his I think, priorities here in this teaching in 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, and chapter 14 is to make clear that the gifts of the Spirit are, are given for the building up the body of Christ, for the common good, to quote um, verse, whatever it was, chapter 12, uh, verse 
7. That's why he's determined that if you give a prophecy in a tongue, it's interpreted, because <laughs> that's where it builds up. And that's why he's much, much happier for people giving uh, prophecies and words like that than a lot of speaking in tongues in church, because it needs to be a building up thing. And uh, and he's correcting. You know, always there's a context in scripture. He's correcting an extreme that's happened in this church back to where it, they should be as God's people. And, and I think you know, he talks about order. In 1 Corinthians, is it, the, the verses come really in chapter 14. Um, end of chapter 14, verse 39. I'm getting close on time. It's a bit, that's a bit much, really. He goes, um, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And like I say, the Church of England is very good at fitting an orderly way, but it sometimes feels like it's forbidden speaking in tongues and doesn't encourage prophecy. We want to be in a place where we encourage prophecy and speaking in tongues, but we do it in a fitting and orderly way. I think it's his first sort of thing. And the second thing is, I've just said, I, I think it's almost central, that the church should be built up. So, for example, in chapter 14, verse 12, he says, So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, Kashmata, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. The aim of the spiritual gifts is not to make me feel good about myself and that ever. It's not to be impressive. It's fundamentally to build up the church. Fundamentally, the gifts are given for the common good, to build up the church. And that's, so Paul would say, excel in those gifts, the gifts that build up the church. Now, of course, they all do, if used rightly. There's nothing quite as encouraging as someone who's got gifted miraculous powers and seeing a miracle happen. Or someone miraculously healed. They, they, they're, they're gifts that encourage and build up the church by encouraging our faith. And words of prophecy, when they when they are, are precise and God, yeah, whoa, God told me that was going to happen. I see that now. They're very they build us up. And sometimes they direct us to to go in this way or that way. That's always I don't know. They're building up words. All the gifts of spirit are used like that. And Paul would have us realise that, that if, we, if we're using the gifts of the Spirit in a way that's not building up the church, then there's a problem. Which is what's happening in Corinth. With people giving public words in tongues and no one interpreting. And sort of like chaos happening. But the last thing he says is about witness. And I'm going to land on this, if you don't mind. Um, I think, again, Laurie mentioned it briefly. It's quite a complicated bit in 1 Corinthians 14, 22 to blah, 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 25. And if you first read it, it looks contradictory. Because in verse 22, he says, Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Get that? However, prophecy, however, is for believers. So in 22, he says, Tongues are for uh, unbelievers, but prophecy is going to be for believers. But then he goes on in verse 23 to say, So the whole church comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, in Corinth, all at the same time. And someone does not understand comes in. Will they not say, you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone else does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he'll be convinced by all that he's a sinner and be judged by all. And the secret of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship, exclaiming, God is really among you. And it looks at first sight that's contradictory Verse 22 says tongues are a sign for unbelievers. But then in verse 23 to 25, he says it's prophecy that will convict unbelievers. You see, 
sign is an evidence that God is real. And that sense, the miracles of Jesus were signs. They pointed to the reality behind it. And tongues is a sign. It, 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 it's in a, often, it seems to me, a sense that shows the spiritual reality behind what we say. It's not just words. It's not just made up. The Holy Spirit is for real. They're a sign in that sense. That's gets what I get anyway. This GC theology, you may disagree with it. Verse 22 to 25, Paul is saying, yeah, but what convicts people is a word of prophecy. When they see that someone might say something that hits them just directly. And we've got many stories of that. And I, I'm not going to think of repeat now, but where a, a word, you know, Jesus, Jesus take Jesus and the woman at the well, you know, <laughs> go call your husband. I have no husband. He says, you've got seven husbands. And the bloke with now isn't. That's a word of prophecy that convicts. And, and we want to see that in our church. But we also want to see spiritual reality. And Paul ends that bit by saying, uh, he will fall down in worship and exclaiming, God is really among you. God, God is really among us. Even when we're meeting distantly like this. And I had my first, oh, Hecat, yay! A bit weird going into all the masks and stuff. I had my first haircut. I've had my first coffee in a coffee shop. Um, sitting down on a sofa in a coffee shop. Yeah! I have to say I also had a toasted tea cake because I like toasted tea cakes. Um, I didn't really want it, but I thought I would just to encourage uh, the company, make, give them some money. Um, that's good of me, wasn't it, really? It was good. Uh, we've been back in church for various things. Um, uh, tonight there'll be Encounter, in Cumberland to Encounter, uh, at 7 o'clock. Um, in church, we can't sing, so... We'll have to hum, whatever. Um, we'll, Johnny will lead worship and we'll do soaking worship where we just lay in the spirit. But do come uh, to that. So it's getting back to normal. But what was I going to say with this? Oh yeah, God is really among us. And he's among us whether we're distant or together. But we do want, I think we want anyway, I want to see other people, non-Christians, come in and say, yeah, God's really among you. By the way you live. And sometimes... It's those dramatic things of the gifts of the Spirit that open the door on people's unbelief. In our culture, often the unbelief is they don't believe any spirituality at all. They just believe biochemistry. That's all we are. And sometimes that's unlocked by the direct giftings of the Holy Spirit. The gifts are given to build up the church. They should be used in order and properly. But also, a right use of them will be a sign and a conviction to unbelievers who'll come, people who don't know Jesus, who'll come and say, yeah, God is really among you. Bring it on, Lord. May people see that your presence is really among us. Amen.